and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts ourselves and our world. I'm Hallie Casey, and I studied and currently work in agriculture. I'm Chris Casey, and I do or did not. And this week, dun dun dun, <laughs> superfoods! Yes, today we are discussing superfoods. Oh my gosh, why? Uh, specifically for kinds of superfoods. Why? We're not going to cover like, what do you mean why? It's like a, it's a mean, fad. People love to talk about it. I mean, is there anything special about these foods? Does the word term superfood have any real value or meaning? Uh, it will typically cost you about $5 more at the grocery store if it says superfood on it. So you got that going for Oh, well, it. okay. So it's fancy. <laughs> No, so what what we're going to do, how we're going to format this episode, and we might do another one of these down the road if people like it, but what Catherine and I have done is we've pulled out four superfoods that we wanted to know more about um, and that we were interested in, and we kind of dig a little bit deeper to see if these foods are actually particularly super or if they are just average foods with a super name. Okay, so quinoa is our first food. Do they have capes? I don't think they currently have capes. You could try and put some capes on like a quinoa. A little, Colonel, little quinoa with a little little cape flying around. <laughs> dun, 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 super food. All right. So quinoa, what is it? Because I don't know. Um, it is a grain slash seed. I think it's technically a pseudo grain because when we say grain, we typically mean it's in the grass family, which is poaceae. And quinoa is in the amaranth family, not the grass family. But it's basically treated like a like a grain because we harvest it very similarly and we process it very similarly. So ostensibly, it's a grain. It is the seed of the quinoa plant. But it's not a fruit. Well, it is a fruit. <laughs> it is a fruit. Go me. Technically, grains are fruits. Yes. Uh, so... It's originally from Peru, like the kind of Andean region in South America. It was first cultivated three to four-ish thousand years ago, and people in that region made flour with it. It was used in some Incan ceremonies, and some other indigenous tribes used it in their ceremonies as well. It, it wasn't necessarily sacred, but it was like used in religious ceremonies. And when the conquistadors got to South America, they like designated it as like food for Indians, and so they completely forbade it because the conquistadors were very against any indigenous religion so they saw this as associated with religion and so it was completely forbade like no one could consume it without being i don't know what the punishment was probably something pretty lousy because it was the conquistadors not to not to judge cultures that are hundreds of years old but that sounds racist <laughs> yeah, a little bit a little bit yeah a little bit a little bit <laughs> It originally, like, came to, like, modern Western tables around 2006-ish, and then quinoa prices peaked in 2013, and have kind of leveled out to, like, gone down a little bit since then. And apparently, in 2013, the United Nations declared it the year of quinoa, so they really were on top of it. They knew which year was quinoa, because that was the year the prices peaked. <laughs> Do you eat quinoa at all at home? Yeah, yeah. Um, not a lot. We used to make it fairly frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, it's entirely possible that that was during 2013. I discovered that it was super, you know, much like rice, it's super easy to make in the microwave. Yeah. And it's tasty, really, with just a little oil and vinegar. Maybe we put like some steamed beets mixed in with it sometimes, or you mix some other vegetables with it. But really by itself with just a little oil and vinegar or in the salad with some dressing on it it's, it's fine it's to great. my memory the first time you ate quinoa and i might be incorrect about this but the first time you ate quinoa was a beet quinoa salad recipe that i brought home 
and made for you. Yeah, no, that, that was probably it. And then it. you yeah. made like every week for the next like year and a half. And I was like, Dad, you can make yep. other things with quinoa. Uh, I think I made one other quinoa recipe that had like corn and onions and celery in it. It's a good, it's a good grain. You can make lots of things with it. Well, great. Send me more recipes. Oh my God. <laughs> So, so when it first became popular in 2013, or in like that 2006 to 2013 time frame, there was a lot of questions around how it was affecting South America, particularly like Peru and Bolivia, where it was still eaten a lot by indigenous folks. And I was really curious about this because I had heard a fair amount about this. I had heard that like, oh, you shouldn't eat quinoa because it's like crashing the Peruvian economy and Peruvians can't even eat quinoa anymore because the Americans have made it so expensive. So I was really curious to know whether or not that was true, because I really didn't know. Turns out, it wasn't really crashing the economy, and it did not really make it inaccessible for people to eat. Uh, The people who ate the most quinoa were quinoa farmers, so the quinoa farmers still had access to quinoa. They were incurring a bigger cost by eating it instead of selling it, but they were already making more money because they were selling it at a higher price. So the percentage of income that they were losing by not selling it was the same, but they were just ending up getting a larger paycheck at the end of the day. Well, congratulations, quinoa farmers. (laughs) So I guess the the real question is, you know, is it super? Is it good for you? Yeah. Why did it become so popular? And you said uh, that Incas used to make flour out of it. I'm curious if people use it for like bread and such things as well. Yeah, you could definitely buy quinoa flour at the store. And I think indigenous folks in South America still make like quinoa bread fairly regularly. And I think that you can buy like fancy bougie quinoa bread as well. But it's, you know, it's just another grain. Like you can you can make bread out of most things. It's, you know, it's bread. Is it GF? I don't even know. I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, no, it would be gluten free. It would be. Yeah, there, cool. there's no gluten in quinoa. But what is in quinoa? So quinoa is about 10 to 18 percent protein with like four to nine ish percent fat. Um, and then it has like mostly starch as, as the rest of the percent. But for a grain, that's very high. I was say that. Yeah, a little quinoa. It sounds like a lot of protein. It is. No, it's a it's a lot of protein. It's a it's a really huge amount of protein. If you look at things like rice or wheat um, that are kind of comparable to quinoa, like they are just basically starch. You don't have like any good fats. You don't have any proteins in them. And for the most part, yeah, quinoa is it's a good grain. It, it has a lot of protein. It has good fats in it. It's fairly healthy. Well, what about, uh, I know people talk a lot about beans having protein, especially when you mix it with rice yeah. to make a, a complete protein. Yeah. So quinoa is actually a complete protein. There's not that many plants that can provide a complete protein. Um, soybeans are another one, but quinoa can provide you all of the amino acids, which creates a complete protein. When you have something like beans or lentils, you have to mix it with a starchy grain like rice or like wheat, which is why in a lot of cultures, the base for their food is typically like beans and rice or lentils and bread or, you know, chickpeas and bread or something like that, because that is creating a complete protein. But with quinoa, you don't you you really don't need to add anything to make it a complete protein. You can add other things to add other nutrients and minerals that you need, but for the protein, quinoa's bringing it all to the table. Yeah, little old quinoa can do it all. I know. So I'm I am going to say this one 
is a superfood. Confirmed superfood. Superfood. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so the, the next one in our episode is, um, it's actually two. I combined them because I figured they would be fairly similar. I was not entirely correct. They actually had more differences than I knew. But it's acai and goji berries. A- acai? Acai. Acai. Yep. What is it? I'm guessing it's their berries. Well, technically, gojis are berries and acai fruit is technically called a droop, which is just a different classification of fruit. A what? It's called a droop. It means that it has a hard center in the middle. So something like um like a plum is also a droop. Okay. It doesn't mean it's droopy. No, it does not. <laughs> But okay. it, it basically means that it's a stone fruit. So like a cherry or, you know, something like that, that that has a stone in the middle. Got it. Acai has a stone in the middle. So it's technically a droop, not a berry. For anyone that didn't know, stone in this case does not mean rock. <laughs> it means hard seed in the middle. Yes, a very hard seed that you can't bite through. So yeah, so originally acai is from Brazil. Uh, and it was, it's like a, it's a staple food in parts of Brazil. People eat a lot of it in certain regions of Brazil. Most of the commercial production from what I could find is still in Brazil. So they just, it just grows very well there. Everyone like has an acai tree and they just like make juice from it. Grow a lot. Wow. That's awesome. It was originally brought to the U.S. by two brothers who like saw the potential in Brazil and wanted to commercialize it. So they started putting it in smoothies and supplements and stuff like that. So that's how it came to the U.S. Goji is originally from China and then like spread to Mongolia and parts of Japan. Um, And it's been used in Asian medicine and has been eaten by folks in Asia for a very long time. But commercial production didn't actually begin until 1950. Most of it is still grown in Asia. Um, They tried to grow it actually in the U.S. and were unsuccessful. But I found online that apparently it's invasive in Wyoming and Montana. So that's interesting. I don't know why it wasn't successful to grow it, but it became invasive. Wow. I mean, I wonder if people have like, you know, invasive plants there, but, and they can eat the berries. It just gets out of control or something. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. That's not super uncommon. You see that in different places in the world where people will try to plant like something that looks nice or tastes nice, and then it just spreads out into the wild. Yep. I know y'all spent a number of days in your youth pulling up plants like that and countless hours of my life spent in the forests of central texas pulling out invasive species so if i eat acai and goji berries is it gonna you know cure all my ills or at least be good for me it will not cure all of your ills so the reason i kind of clumped these together is because i knew that eating berries in general is fairly healthy for you so i assumed that they would have very similar health benefits. They would be high in antioxidants and like low in other calories. They would be higher in fiber. For the most part, that's true. They're fairly high in fiber, fairly high in antioxidants. One thing that's interesting is acai is actually fairly high in fat. So it's a fairly high calorie berry. This is very unusual. We do not get a lot of like, quote unquote, berries that are high in fat. That is like uncommon. And the scientific name for this is actually Euterpe oleracei, and oleracei means olive. So I imagine that they named it that because it was so oily and it kind of is shaped a little bit like an olive. It's super uncommon to have a fruit like that have quite so much oil in it. Wow, that's, yeah, never heard of that. Uh, 16 grams of monounsaturated fat per serving. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty significant amount. And then goji berries are actually higher in protein than most other berries. So 
These these berries wow. do have some differences, but when you compare them to things like pomegranates or red wine, they don't have quite as many antioxidants, uh, which are... Wait, red wine? Yeah. Whoa. Red wine has more antioxidants than goji berries? Yeah, yeah. Mind blown. I know. Can you believe it? Health tips for one to grow on. Drink more wine, kids. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I didn't say that. There are some reasons why it could be good for you to eat acai or goji. They are berries, so generally they're better for you than like starches or candies or things like that. But for the most part, they're as good for you as other berries are. And certainly, you know, we wouldn't say don't eat them. Absolutely eat them. Just, you know, don't expect miracles. Yeah. Confirmed, not superfood. Uh, I don't have a sound effect for that. Sorry, y'all. What about, like, womp, womp, womp? I guess, but that just sounds so sad. And, I mean, they're still perfectly <laughs> good foods to eat. They are. They are. They're, that's just... true. They are good fruits. They're just not miracle fruits. I mean, quinoa is not a miracle fruit, but quinoa is genuinely, like, a better alternative in a lot of ways than other yeah. grains. And, like, goji and acai are pretty comparable to other berries. They're they're not cape worthy. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. Not cape worthy. That's 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 how we're gonna put it. Not cape worthy. Well, speaking of cape worthy, uh, let's take a little break real quick. What is that? That doesn't make any sense. Sure, it does. Just just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. Yeah, thank you, everybody, and thank you to our Starfruit patron, Lindsay. Yeah. Thank you very much to Sarah Owen for the idea for this episode. Thank you so much. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can join us on our Patreon, where we will be recording and releasing a very special episode. Oh. Next week. What could it be? What could it be? (laughs) It's going to be me and Dad, and Catherine's also going to be on the episode. Yep, and it's going to be some sort of special different content, which we've figured out somewhat so far i'm very excited i've already started prepping my segment it's gonna be great (laughs) i have thought about what my segment is going to be it's gonna be awesome so if you would like to join us over there uh you can join us for as little as one dollar a month just that much and you'll get this amazing show and it's at patreon.com backslash one to grow on pod that's a forward slash (laughs) gotta get the slashes straight all right everyone back to the episode back to the episode Okay, you got a nature fact for us this episode, Dad? Yes, I do have a nature fact. All right. Nature fact. Superman's favorite food was beef bourguignon with ketchup. Really? Yep. <gasps> I don't know why, but he's Superman and we're talking about superfoods, so that's this week's fact. <laughs> and Lois Lane would like make him some sort of fancy dinner or something. And he would say, oh, it's good. But it's no beef bourguignon with ketchup. (laughs) Did you remember that from your comic book reading days or did you Google it? I Googled it today. Oh, okay. That's still pretty good. That's a good fact. What is beef bourguignon? Uh, Beef bourguignon is uh, like a medium rare cooked beef in a wine reduced sauce. Why would you put ketchup on that? I mean, he was from out of town, you know. (laughs) He liked uh, unique. Unique exotic flavors. I guess that's, yeah. <laughs> ketchup, 
ketchup's delicious. That's why yeah. people, you know, cover their fries in it. That's true. That's true. I mean, Garrison Keillor loves it, so. Okay, you want to hear about our next superfood? I do. What is our next superfood? I don't even have my notes up right now. Ch-ch-ch-chia. Did you have a chia pet when you were a kid? No, you wouldn't buy me one. Oh, go me. <laughs> that was smart. What do you know about chia, Dad? Um, I know you can paste it to the outside of a piece of pottery and it'll sprout. You know, actually, when I was talking with Catherine, I made that joke and she said, is that the same? I never made that connection. It is the same. <laughs> it's the same chia. That's what it is. That's what it is. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it works. So is, is that all you know about it? That's all I know. Really? Uh, I'm guessing it's a kind of sprout. Maybe maybe it's like an alfalfa sprout. I don't know. You've never had it's, chia before? What would I have it in? I have chia every morning on my breakfast. Like, like, how? So, so for my breakfast, I make overnight oats, right? So I have like a little mason jars and I will put yogurt at the bottom and then I put blueberries in and then some oats and then chia and almonds and honey and cinnamon and nutmeg and some other stuff. And then I put cashew or flax milk over it and I just let it sit and then the oats get all nice and mushy and it's just ready to go and eat in the car in the morning. That sounds like a lot of work. It's literally neg. It's like no work. I just wake up and I take it out of the fridge and I just go. You got to do the work the night before. It also that's that's one of those meals that sounds so healthy as to like you don't want to eat it. No, it's so delicious. Like it's just super sweet and crunchy. You can you can eat something like you know steak and a salad, and you know For it's pretty breakfast? healthy, but you still want to eat it because it's delicious. But you hear, you know, oats and, and chia and flax and you're like, what the heck are you giving me? Oh my gosh. No way. You're so wrong about this. It's really delicious. You would like it. Uh, well, then why haven't you ever fixed it for me? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So chia. Send me instructions and I'll try it maybe. Okay. Okay. I will send you instructions. I will see if I can post them on the Patreon. It is very straightforward. All right. Okay. Chia is what? Is a seed of the chia plant. So it's a fruit. It is a fruit. Yes, it's a fruit. It's a seed. I'm never going to get sick of saying that. <laughs> um, it's in the mint family, Salvia Hispanica. So it is native to North and Central America, Mexico and like Guatemala region. The The seeds themselves are hydrophilic. So they're quite similar to basil seeds. If you remember, like in Bake Off, they use basil seeds sometimes to like make jellies and stuff like that. Okay. S- slow down there, cowboy. <laughs> So the seeds are hydrophilic, which means they like water. Yes. And so basically when you put a chia seed in water, it will like soak up that water and get, it looks like kind of like weird and gelatinous a little bit. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And the Bake Off for you people not in the know is the Great British Bake Off known outside of the States as the Great British Baking Show, but I do not understand what this has to do with chia or basil or what are you going on about? Well, in one, in some of the episodes, they've like used basil seeds in part of the cooking because they have this effect of like, if you soak basil seeds in water, it makes this like kind of weird jelly because the seeds will like, blow oh, up with the water. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. so, so chia does pretty much the same thing um, as All that. right. So I think that chia is eaten and has been eaten for a while by indigenous peoples, but I know that there is a relative of it that's native to California and that area 
that has like particular significance to indigenous folks in North America. Okay. So people put this in a lot of things. People put it in smoothies. People put it in kombucha. They make pudding out of it. They put it in their overnight oats. You can put it in a lot of things. And there's there's a lot of claims about what chia is good for. And it's kind of hard to imagine it being able to be as good for you as people say because it's a very small seed and then it just turns into like a little kind of jelly and it doesn't really look like it would be that healthy for you. Okay. But but it is high in protein. Okay. It is high in zinc, calcium, and phosphorus. That all sounds good. Yeah. And it's, you know, pretty, it's pretty okay. It's pretty all right for you. Well, okay. They've done some animal model studies that have shown reductions in some chronic diseases, but those haven't been transferred to human trials yet, to my understanding. But there is some evidence that it's fairly good for you. People make pudding with it a lot, and Catherine really wanted to know if chia pudding was better than regular pudding because she really likes to eat chia pudding because she feels better when she does. It is better for you. Just because chia pudding doesn't have things like egg yolks and it doesn't have as much butter. Sometimes it doesn't have as much sugar. But like when you get down to it, it's kind of how you cook it. So like if you cook it and you put like a lot more sugar and like more fats in the chia pudding, then it's going to be less good for you. But basically because chia is a natural thickener, you don't have to put as many things like egg yolks in it and stuff like that. So wait, what about this thing about it being the richest plant source of omega-3s? Yeah, so that's that's a big thing that people point to with chia. Um, so omega-3s are certain kinds of acids, of fatty acids, that can be really helpful for cardiovascular health. So a lot of people will eat fish oil pills or will try and eat fish regularly because fish are typically fairly high in these omega-3 fatty acids. Sometimes plants also have omega-3 fatty acids. And of the plants that people eat regularly, chia is one of the best producers of these omega-3 fatty acids. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little old chia? Little old chia. Why have you never told me about this before? Oh my gosh. I, have definitely I need to get me some chia. This. I don't think so. I definitely have. Like, I, I definitely have. If there's anything my, my poor heart needs, it's more omega-3s. Oh Are you aware of the history of heart disease in my family? <laughs> so there is some evidence. There is very limited evidence to suggest that the plant forms of omega-3 fatty acids, um, which are called alpha-linoleic acids, are not as efficiently converted by our human flesh bodies as the omega-3 fatty acids that there are in fish. Okay. Now, this has not been studied rigorously. There is not scientific consensus. It is currently being investigated, but there is some limited evidence to suggest this. So if if you really need them good fatty acids, you might want to consider fish until there is more science done on these chia and other plant sourced omega-3 fatty acids oh fish oil pills are the worst yeah no they they are very terrible yeah yeah especially the burps afterward you can you can feel the fish coming up um <laughs> uh, yeah so that's chia i would say that it might be a superfood if this stuff with the omega-3 fatty acids turns out that like it technically has the fatty acids but we can't really get to them with our human bodies very well it's probably not that super, but if it can provide these omega-3 fatty acids as a plant, that's amazing. And if like we can get to them and our bodies can convert them well, that that would be a super thing. So perhaps super. I mean, it's it sounds like it still has, regardless, it still has a lot of other stuff going for it. So 
Um, maybe a superfood or, or at least sidekick worthy for sure. Definitely. For these other ones, we, we tried to like compare them to like when we were talking about quinoa, we compared it to rice. But with chia, there's not a lot of good analogous options because there's not really something else that we use that's quite similar. So if you're looking for something that can kind of fill that space, chia is a good option to like put in your pudding or put in your overnight oats or put in your smoothies. It, it can be a good additive. It is going to bring that zinc. It's going to bring some protein. It's going to bring some calcium. So yeah, it, it's bringing stuff to the table. It's sidekick worthy. I'd say that. Nice. Nice. Well, last but certainly not least is... Kefir! I don't know. We know this is drinking yogurt. Yeah. So tell me, tell me your experience with kefir because I'm going to tell you something right now. We definitely saved the best for last. Like this kefir bit is wild. So my experience with kefir is sometimes your mother buys it and there's Mm -hmm. a bottle of strawberry flavored drinking yogurt in the fridge. And sometimes I'll drink a little bit and that's all I know. Okay. Okay. So it is not technically yogurt. What? It is. What? It, <laughs> it's. Uh, doesn't it say yogurt on the bottle? Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. know. It's just. It's. How is it? Okay. Proceed. So it's. It's fermented milk. It's fermented milk, but it's not yogurt. Now I don't know what yogurt is. <laughs> so. You know what? I don't really know either. I'm gonna be straight with you. I don't know that much about animal stuff. I'm a plant person. I'm pretty sure it's not the same as yogurt. It is fermented milk, though. This I know. It is made from something called kefir grains. What the heck is a kefir grain? So it is like a little gelatinous ball that looks like cauliflower. If you do a Google, you will think you're looking at cauliflower. And basically, we today, all of the commercial kefir is made with descendants of these ancient kefir grains because we are not able to produce new kefir grains from scratch like we have to go and like get old kefir grains and then breed off of those kefir grains by like replicating them and growing them kind of like kombucha if you've ever like been in the process of kombucha you have to grow a mother and then take like a slice of the mother off and then you can create a new kombucha but it's kind of hard to just start from scratch and for for kefir, no one has ever been able to start from scratch, like create a new kefir grain in like living memory. So there was there was a Star Trek book that I read in which Kirk, Spock, and McCoy were camping. And McCoy was talking about roasting marshmallows and telling Spock how there were these melons that grew in marshes. And Spock didn't know, so he just believed it. And I kind of feel like that's what's <laughs> happening here. Like, is this for real? There's kefir grains. It's a real thing. And we it's can't a real thing. grow new ones? <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing. It's kind of wild, actually. So the reason we don't really know that much about kefir grains is because for a long time, they were kind of treated as sacred by folks in the Caucasus region because it was thought that the Prophet Muhammad had handed these kefir grains down to the Caucasus people. And so... When you had kefir grains, it was like a sacred thing. And so you kept it very secret and very private. And like making kefir was like a thing you did, but like it wasn't really shared with other people because it was like kind of religious. Oh, wow. Okay. So so we don't really have a history from this because no one really like talked about it. It was kind of like held in that region for a long time until now buckle up because this. Okay. Just just real quick, real quick. Yeah. Um, from kefir.net. It says kefir, much like yogurt, is a healthy, a healthful dairy product made from cultured milk. 
so i guess i guess they are they're they're different they have their differences um so there, there is you a go difference. yeah all right so i know uh, yeah so right. I know that there is some kind of difference. I don't know why there is a difference. Okay, it is great. different than yogurt. We got we got culture milk, we got grains, and we got buckle up. I'm buckle up. I am ready. I'm ready for <laughs> what's coming. What's so, coming? But, so really quick, like unbuckle and relax, because I just want to clarify. They're not grains, right? It's not like a grain from uh, a plant. Now what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like that might have been confusing. So when we say kefir grains, it's like a little gelatinous blob of like fermented milk that is then able to, uh, to it's, it's like a little you know what I mean it's like it's like the mother in a kombucha it's that, like it's like a little oh. yeasty thing I don't know kombucha milk. I don't know kombucha I don't know it's my only reference so it's like a it's like a little starter culture sort of yeah yeah it's a starter culture or it's like a little yeast blob slurry they, on the bottom of okay. okay yeah it's it's not like a it's not a plant I feel like that was unclear my apologies alright kind of like the marshmallows that's okay <laughs> So yeah, so these these kefir grains are super ancient. Um, Marco Polo mentioned them when he was like writing about what he was seeing, and people used to hang them in like a goatskin bag in doorways, and every time they would walk through the doorway, they would like hit it to like mix it up. Hit it. <laughs> okay, but here's here's where it's about to get crazy because now I'm gonna talk about how kefir entered the rest of the world, like why we know what kefir is today. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so at the turn of the century, like the late 1800s, people started hearing about kefir and wanting it. And they were like, I don't know what this is, but it sounds dope as heck. So there was a doctor who wanted to test its medicinal properties. I think the doctor was Russian. Um, And he contacted two brothers who owned a dairy farm. And he was like, can you get me some of this? So what these brothers decided to do was they had an employee whose name was Irina Sakharova. And they asked Irina, they went to Irina and they said, Irina, this doctor wants some kefir grains. <laughs> Here's what we need you to do. The prince has some kefir grains. Can you go seduce them from him? So Irina went to the prince and she succeeded in seducing the prince, but he would not give her any kefir grains because he was like worried about violating religious law because... He believed that Muhammad, the prophet, had handed them down to his people. So she just left because she was there to get the grains and she was not actually that interested in the prince. But she had seduced the prince. So the prince wanted, you know, Irina. So he hired a band of mountain men to go and kidnap Irina. And then he trapped her in his, I'm assuming, castle. All the stories I read said prince, but it was not very clear if he was like the kind of prince that lived in a castle. But he trapped her. He like kidnapped her and then trapped her because he wanted her to marry him. She was not about it. She was not going to do that. So she was just like trapped there. And he was like, please marry me. And she just kept being like, no, I will not. No, thank you. So she like refused to marry him for long enough that these dairy farmers that she worked for were able to send a rescue mission and break her out of the prince's like, yeah, no. (laughs) So after she's rescued. okay, here's where we get back to Kiefer. After she's rescued. The prince was then brought before Tsar Nicholas II and tried for kidnapping, understandably, because he did do kidnapping. And as punishment for kidnapping Irina, the prince had to give her 10 pounds of kefir grains. 
I was not ready for that. I know. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a great story. So she gave these grains to the farmers and the farmers gave them to the doctors, but the farmers kept some of them and started producing kefir around 1908. But the process was super weird because they didn't really know what they were doing. And so it wasn't really commercially produced until the 1950s. And in 1973, the Soviet Minister of Food and Industry sent a letter to Irina Sakharova thanking her for her service to the Russian people. That's amazing. I'm going to start calling it kidnapping yogurt, even though it's not yogurt. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Thank you, Irina, for your sacrifice. It's fine, I guess. I mean, what a story, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really realize that there were quite so many just princes around in like the turn of the century, Russia. All this all this uh, insanity for, for this uh, yogurt-like liquid. Yeah, um, was it worth it? Yeah. Um, so... It kind of, yeah, it kind of tastes like yogurt, but the thing that's different is that lactose gets broken down by the kefir grains. So it, it has very high in probiotics, similar to yogurt, but for lactose-challenged friends, it is a very good option because they can't get with yogurt. So kefir can provide a probiotic option without people having to eat probiotic pills, which are kind of gross. And Catherine, our producer, cannot have lactose, so she let us know that kefir has meant a lot to her when she needed probiotics and she did not want to get the gross pills. She can just get her some kefir. Oh, nice. Well, let's hear it for, uh, you know, 19th century Russian kidnappings. <laughs> and that's the story of kefir. And I would say that kefir is not a superfood. Not a superfood. in some ways very helpful if you are lactose challenged, but it is not a superfood. It's good stuff, but but not super. So here's here's my deal with the with the term superfoods mm-hmm. is um, I mean, like you were saying in the story about kefir, there were people that heard about it and you know heard it was pretty dope or whatever, and so they just had to have it. Yeah. And I feel like it's the same now. It's like some people hear about something and they just got to have it, and then it it becomes a phenomenon um, without any real substance behind it. And it's like it's not that these things are bad they're fine in fact it's everything here is pretty healthy it's just not gonna cure your cold or cancer or anything like that or be any sort of magic bullet yeah yeah i think when we get down to it like people really like shortcuts and i think that for a lot of people they feel comfortable eating unhealthily if they can then eat something that they think is super healthy so like if they eat like ice cream and then go and get like an acai bowl or something like that um they're like oh but i i got it covered i'm counteracting it but that's not really that's not really what's going on what's really going on is just like you're eating something that's moderately healthy you would feel better and you would have better general health outcomes if you just ate in general more fruits and vegetables and also eat yogurt because yogurt's pretty good for you or kefir is also pretty good for you yeah i mean lots of things are good for you Eating fruits and vegetables is good, but people don't necessarily want to do that. So I think that the idea of a superfood is an opportunity to, one, charge more for an item, and two, for people to see it as kind of a shortcut, as something that's like, oh, but this is twice as healthy as normal blueberries, so I'll just eat this instead, and then I'll be extra healthy, and I don't have to eat, you know, my broccoli or whatever it is. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. They just want us to... Tell them about the magical food and get excited about it. But that's okay. It's all good, folks. Eat healthy food and and, and live your life. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> dun 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 
That's all I got. That's all I got. I mean, I, I get it. I I mean, fruits and vegetables are not exciting. Uh, and it's it's fun to, to, like, hear about something and be like, oh, my God, this might be the solution. This might be something new and not just, like, plain old tomatoes, plain old cranberries, plain old squash that I've been eating my whole life. It's, yeah, it's exciting to have a new product, a new food that you think is going to change your life, but it's probably not going to change your life. You should just eat more fruits and vegetables in general, eat more plants, eat less meat, eat less dairy. That's a good idea. The solution, yeah. Well, I, for one, am going to try all of the, I mean, I've eaten quinoa and I've eaten kefir, but I've never had chia or or acai or goji, so I'm just going to give all these a try and, and see what they're all about for sure. Yeah, you should. Quinoa is great. Chia is great. Kefir is great. Goji's okay. I've only eaten acai one time and I did not care for it, but perhaps I ate it in a form that it was not not best suited to the berry. I don't know what it was. Uh, but I yeah, maybe I'll give acai another shot. Maybe I'll give it another go around, see if I can have it in a tastier form. Let me know on Twitter at me at Hallie underscore Casey. What is your favorite way to consume acai? Because I did not love it the first time I had it. Yeah, tell us about this stuff. We're gonna we're gonna try it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wanna Grow On. If you would like to support the show, you can rate and review us on iTunes or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. If you'd like to connect with us, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or at our website at onetogrowonpod.com. This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It's produced by Catherine Arjay and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free, and our show art is by Mariah Coley. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. Until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.